Welcome to the Scaling Japan podcast. I'm your host, Tyson Batino. And on today's episode, we have Joshua Flannery for the second time. He is the CEO of Innovation Dojo. And in our first episode, we talked about incubators, accelerators, startup cities, and overseas university innovation and R&D projects in Japan. In today's episode, we'll talk about startup events, pitch contests, startup communities, and more. But when it comes to the startup ecosystem in Japan, you'll be hard to find any foreigner who knows more than Joshua. But thank you for coming on the podcast again, Joshua. And could you please give a self-introduction for those who this might be their first time hearing about you? Hi, Tyson. And thank you so much for having me on yet again. Good to know uh, that you're not sick of me just yet. So hi, everyone. Um, I'm Joshua Flannery, known as Josh. I'm the CEO and founder of Innovation Dojo. And basically, uh, what we do is we work with universities, governments, and corporations to help solve some problems that are worth solving. And we do that via various programs and initiatives from accelerators to inbound startup to support to uh, helping universities actually enter Japan, a whole bunch of things. So yeah, thanks again for having me. Excellent. And I originally planned to interview Joshua or yourself for one episode, mm -hmm. and we had 10 topics to cover. And Joshua is so knowledgeable that I think we ended up spending like 50 minutes just on four topics. So I was like, okay, we, we need to schedule another episode. So if you haven't heard the episode on incubators, accelerators, startup cities, and university or overseas university innovation projects, please listen to the first episode. <laughs> but uh, getting that out of the way, uh, it's really good episode. That's why I had to mention it twice. But so for today's, let's start with startup events, Joshua. So please tell us what you know about startup events in Japan. Yeah, thanks. So I guess it's such a, a broad topic and it may be a little bit abstract to look at just events alone as a category because they're always attached to something else. So whether it's attached to a, a program or a, a larger initiative or something that a particular organization does as part of a bigger suite of activities that they do. So, you know, I guess... When you're looking at startup events in Japan and considering, you know, from a potential attendee uh, perspective, why would I go to this or not? I guess there's broadly two kind of categories of motivation. Uh, one of them being, you know, your sort of professional development or business development reasons. And then the other side is, of course, you know, there are events. So there's a social element and so there's nothing wrong with um, going there to make new friendships or, or networks, you know, with like-minded people. So I think that's the kind of very top line. And then under that, there are sort of, as indicated, a whole bunch of different themes or purposes or activities that happen within startup events. I'd say probably like if you're looking at the landscape in Japan, probably by far most events are happening in or around Tokyo. And then there are the other startup cities that I guess are starting their own flavor of startup events. 
a lot of incubators or accelerators, they will have startup events at various stages of their program. So you might have like a a kickoff event where you're trying to attract new participants in your programs or or new members to a particular co-working space. And then once something has begun, you know, there might be in-program events, part of a program, you know, which could involve business matching, for example, if it was an accelerator that focused on startup and corporates engaging, there might be a business matching event near the front. And then as you sort of progress, there might be various sort of pitching events as you go. So it's such a broad topic. Yeah, I I guess there are some like really big events that are sort of must go to's uh, if you're in the startup ecosystem. And for me, I think as of sort of the last year or two, the uh, the level or the bar has been raised by uh, Sushi Tech Tokyo, I have to say, even though I'm a strong katsai, I think Sushi Tech Tokyo, the version of that that I saw last year, last time it was on, was really the first time that I had this feeling of, wow, am I actually in Singapore or am I in uh, another big globalized ecosystem, which I think Japan is striving for via various initiatives. I feel like just the fact that it was completely user-friendly in English or Japanese, the participants, the presenters were super diverse. You got a lot of sort of world-class people that were, were flown in. A lot of this is thanks to, I think, the um, generous budget of Tokyo Metropolitan (laughs) (laughs) and, and, you know, part of a bigger kind of um, initiative to try and become a true global startup ecosystem city. Yeah, all of the other prefectures also had booths, right? And so it was really a bit of a landmark. And then I think once you sort of go past that big one, there are a, a, a few other like large ones with different themes like IoT or social more social impact or AI or Web3. You know, there's the IVS, which is a huge one every year. IVS actually used to be a members or invite only. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Type of um, deal. But I think uh, for the first time, was it this year or last year when they had it in Kyoto, mm. uh, they opened it up and this was almost getting close to that kind of Sushi Tech Tokyo level, but in Kyoto, just a huge venue, very international. And then I guess below that, there's a plethora of events on all the time. Some of them are sort of one-off, you know, once a year, or if you look at more regular things going on, there's the CIC and what they're doing. I think it's every Thursday night. Ah, yeah. They have their um, Thursday gatherings, and uh, shout out to my my ex colleague Akiko Adachi, who now runs that, uh, <laughs> who's uh, running the program there, doing a great job. And that's kind of known around Japan now as, I guess, one of the most vibrant volunteer based ongoing activities every week. Volunteer in terms of, I don't believe speakers are being paid to come and you know give a keynote or whatever it is. I think we definitely need more of that. For yeah. the CIC one, uh, so I think one cool thing they're doing too is I think for their Thursday events, it's not limited to just Tokyo. Mm-hmm. I was luckily, I was able to join one when I was in uh, Aichi for 500 mm-hmm. and they were doing one in uh, Aichi. 
Yeah, it's great. So yeah, I, I think going back to like, how do you work out which ones to go to or not? I guess you just first figure out what's your priorities. So I think events are just one potential platform or tool to achieve whatever you're trying to achieve, right? So you sort of have your events or do you try to go into a program or do you do direct reaching out to people? And, you know, uh, depending on whether you're trying to build a network or find a co-founder or do sales. You look at who's attending, what, what the content is, who's likely to be attracted to attend that event. Because it might not actually be the speakers that you're after. It could be the, <laughs> the people in the networking. An example of that for me is if I'm trying to find sponsors for a a, a program that we're doing and I'm looking for a particular theme, say it was clean energy, I would look for all those kind of clean energy events where startups are pitching. And then I would expect that part of the audience would be the same sort of target audience that I'm after to want to sponsor mm -hmm. what I'm doing as well. So yeah, just be kind of research. We'll work out first what you want to do. And then, yeah, it sounds like a no brainer, but I think that there are a lot of serial event attendees they basically just say what's on tonight <laughs> that's okay too that's okay and maybe it's a social thing but th there's so much choice so and since you're in kansai uh, are there any uh, events in kansai you would like to give a shout out to yeah i i think yeah as i said ivs did a great job in kyoto i don't think they'll be in kansai again next time there's hack osaka which is a kind of um flagship for kansai run by the osaka city and prefectural government but these days most of the bigger events that are done by either osaka kyoto or kobe are actually done at least with some level of collaboration so it's very likely that the kobe people will go and the kyoto people will go and um and there are i guess equivalents uh in in the other cities too other events in Kansai, there's a whole lot of events that are based on international visits happening these days. So there was one that I attended yesterday, a delegation from Singapore came out to Kobe City, actually in the new Microsoft AI collaboration lab in downtown Kobe. This group which involved, I think, Enterprise Singapore and a cohort of Singaporean startups that were seriously looking at entering Japan. They attended, you know, they uh, all did their pitch. It was translated. And then there were corporates that attended from in and around Kobe. So it's kind of just keeping a finger on the pulse of what's happening. Uh, I, yeah, I like how you've mentioned it. It's kind of just really understanding what your goals are first. Yeah. And then finding the right uh, event to match that. So I think that's a great learning point for the audience. Right. And I was going to add, they're not, it's not regular, but sometimes they have something called Startup Weekend. Right. I think it's like for two or three days on a weekend, once a month, or they might have like once a quarter mm -hmm. and they have a theme. And if you're looking for a co-founder or you're looking for the experience of like creating a business, but without actually creating a business, it's a pretty good example. And yeah, I think I was going to follow up on your kind of the pitch, but like for 500 Global's case, it's with one of the programs, it's getting that corporates, like you mentioned, the business matching yeah, yeah, and helping the companies get ready to make that pitch and then match them with corporations afterwards. Right. 
Yeah, it's a huge thing, the whole um, startup times corporate engagement. Um, yeah, and it, it kind of leads to a lot of different things, you know, events, short programs, longer accelerators, startup studios, whole lot of, there's so much CVC sort of activities. It's definitely like been flavor of the last sort of four or five years and doesn't seem like slowing down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think that's I think that's the point everyone's gonna get through. Like this, the the ecosystem is moving so quickly. There's just so much variations, uh, and there's no one definition of how something's done. Yeah, exactly. One of the common challenges I see with my consulting clients is not having any staff internally who can drive marketing strategy and execution to the next level. This really limits the growth trajectory of a company, especially for a leader like you that wants to go from 30 million to 500 million yen a year and does not have the time to spend years learning through trial and error. To solve this problem, I'm launching a marketing agency that can help companies like yours to increase leads and closing rates through SEO, Google Maps, content marketing, and websites that convert. Head over to scalingyourcompany.com and book a free consultation. Let's talk about what your business needs are where your current strategy is letting you down, and how we can help you see real results with the methods I've successfully implemented at multiple companies myself. Now, back to the episode. Uh, let's move on to pitch contests. Right. Yeah, so I think, so pitch contests are probably like the most classic kind of startup event in a way. So I think originally, you know, the idea was to simulate pitching for venture capital. And so you might have startups that enter and the judges of that contest select a short list and the top of that list are then invited to the pitch event day. And then there might be prizes. And I think for the more serious contests, some of the judges or the organizers might be in a position to potentially invest or or at least it starts the conversation that might lead to investment down the line but i also think like because it's sort of such a classic thing and there's been so much pitching that kind of pitch fatigue <laughs> and, <laughs> please, please tell me more and uh, so i i mean there is a kind of for those that have been working in the, the startup ecosystem here or actually i think it's a universal issue there are a lot of pitch events just for the sake of pitching and they don't necessarily lead to a solid outcome for those participating so i think like back to what we were saying with general events, it's good to sort of look closely, you know, if you're going to put your time and effort into pitching at an event, think again, why are you doing it? What do you want to get out of it? And does this particular pitch event opportunity or this pitch contest give you a clear pathway toward what you're hoping for? So I think like one of the earliest players and maybe prolific players in pitch contest um, has been NTT data. Mm. And so they were like for years and years, both in Japan and sort of doing global tours, organizing these pitch contests, and they would set up a theme usually related to something they're, they're working on in their core business. And then they collect as many pitch applications as possible. 
and then set up the big sort of demo day style pitch contest. And the prizes would be have time with their their team and talk about potential collaboration. And they might have cash prizes as well as a kind of marketing thing as well. But why they're doing that is technology sourcing thinly veiled by a, a bit of a show. <laughs> yes, yes. And uh, I think it, it can be worthwhile, but the legit ones can easily be confused with those that are just more trying for the the entertainment aspect. So I think it really depends on the stage you're at, what you want to get out of it. If you're in university or, uh, you know, you probably find these days, it's likely that there'll be some kind of pitch contest on campus. And I think it didn't used to be that common, but it, it's spreading. So I think it's a really good way to practice public speaking in general, which is a skill that you can utilize for so many different things in and outside of startups. Um, so th- there's a good side, but then once you get familiar with it, then you have to be more analytical about where you're going to put your time into preparing for this because you could be preparing you know almost the same amount of time as you would be preparing for a real venture capital pitch opportunity and yet the pitch contest may not be that so yeah i I guess that's what i'll say on that gotcha yeah i think they have to kind of look into maybe the amount of attendees as well and like maybe the ratio of attendees then uh, for the pitch contest, like based on your experience, uh, what are the amount of prizes that you see in like kind of the range? Yeah. So I've seen a trend away from cash prizes. So it used to be that, you know, if you didn't have a cash prize, you wouldn't get at many good entrants. But I think now both sides, both the startups and the the corporates or the sponsors of these things are now looking at it as more a way to start a business relationship. And the prize is, you know, we will select you into something that looks like something close to will become your customer if you are the best pitch or, you know, we'll at least do a some kind of project with you. So, yeah, I, I, I actually I'm seeing it might just be me, but I'm seeing like less and less kind of big checks, big fake checks. Uh, I, I think they're still around, but even for the startups now, I think they're getting more strategic around what their goals are. And mm. so just cash, of course, it's always going to be attractive and needed but like they're now looking for you know something attached to smart money or something that links to an ongoing customer engagement and so maybe it's kind of an evolution of thinking on both sides so you know i i'm not just going to pitch for a thousand bucks or ten thousand whatever it is i actually want to make this fit into our growth strategy that's the feeling i've got no, I've, yeah. I've had the same sense as well mm-hmm. that it has been decreasing. You'll see it from time to time. But now that maybe the startup ecosystem has evolved a bit more, that yeah. would you say there's more international startups pitching compared yeah. to before? Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot more international to pitches, and that goes both ways. So Actually, maybe in three ways I can think of right now. So there's a lot of pitch contests for foreign startups coming in, like the NTT data example. And the one I'm I'm really, I think, watching carefully is Japan-based international people now getting more involved in the scene. 
I guess like you and I, but running startups and pitching in these competitions, it's less rare than it used to be. And it's almost now you're bound to have at least one of the startups that has like a, an international founder in the core team, which I think is important too for capability and motivation for going global. And then I think the other part is foreign sponsors coming in and setting up competitions for Japan-based startups. So um, a fresh example in mind of one we managed about a month ago for a a government-affiliated group out of Dongsheng in China. And they were looking for um, medical and, and health tech startups based in Japan. And they did have cash prizes. And they also had options to assist with market expansion from Japan into China. So yeah, despite geopolitical climates, that that was interesting that um, China is still pretty active in the startup ecosystem relationship space, which I think is a testament to founders that, you know, rule number one, just get shit done and um, (laughs) focus on the business and don't listen to the noise. (laughs) So uh, that was cool, but sorry for the sidetrack. But I think it's it's just an example of many of those kind of opportunities that are popping up now in Japan. Very cool. <clears throat> and uh, let's move on to the startup communities and groups. Mm. So I think I gave one example with Startup Weekend. Yeah. Well, startup communities themselves, they probably have like the core elements in common. You know, it's usually founders or employees that are looking for like-minded people or people that can help them. And then I think, why do they want that? Well, they're looking for support. um, And again, back to why do we attend events? So the social element combined with the professional element, I think startup communities are one of the most important things and maybe hardest things to sustain in any ecosystem. The old saying, it takes a village to raise a startup. <laughs> I, I think that's that's super true. So, so like, um, you know, like you, you can have accelerators or investors, you know, bragging about how they've helped startups go from A to B. But at the end of the day, yeah, those founders are so active in, in communicating with so many people around them. So no one can really take the credit but them and maybe the community around them. It's my yeah. first time hearing that, but uh, <laughs> I found it very hilarious as well. <laughs> About whose job is it like, though? I, I think it's a controversial question. Whose job is it to nurture or so-called manage or grow a startup community? And I think, like, depending on who you ask, you know, it can be part of a, a company's strategy. To, and they want to be part of a community and to help build that community and their goals are aligned with a thriving community. Or others have a view that it should just be a kind of individual founders at the base and keep it pure that way and not associated wow. with a brand so that there's no risk of it being used for some particular company or person's agenda. I think off the back of that mindset, there are various groups starting in both Kanto and Kansai, probably other places too, like the Startup Guild Japan guys, who I, I think you know well. I promise I'll give a plug. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, I know them really well, uh, Dwayne and, and Ace. Uh, and so they're, they're literally two guys that are running their own startups and they volunteer kind of, you know, their time to this, I, I guess, a banner over the community startup guild japan and then they put on events and will ask people from within the community to be speakers at events and ask for some in-kind for uh you know covering costs of catering or the room hire and such uh that kind of grassroots stuff i think that is super important um and it also can act as a kind of uh, landing pad for new people when they come into the community mm-hmm. So just kind of turning up to one of those type of events, it, you immediately see, oh, phew, I'm not the only one, right? Mm. Uh, and so we we did one with them. When was that? A couple of months ago. And the goal of the event was to help people that were considering applying for the startup visa. Ah, uh, nice, nice. Yeah. And so we invited individuals who had successfully applied for the startup visa from Kyoto, Osaka, and Kobe. And they were like on a panel and I was interviewing them and basically trying to get the practical stuff, but also like the reality of the social aspect of living, moving to Japan and, you know, the hardships or the good parts as well. That was really well received by the community. So I think, yeah, that kind of thing is, yeah, it's almost like, a necessary thing for you know mental health in a way when you have to sort of unplug and just talk to other people in your situation and share you know this this is really hard this entrepreneurship stuff so having people to share that with yeah super important and i like how it's in person as well yeah uh, i haven't attended yet but the, in tokyo i think they have the startup lunch club right oh yes and i think they meet either once a month or maybe a couple of times a month, I think it's done by Francisco. In their case too, it's kind of like, I think you mentioned, like it serves as a nice landing pad. Uh, Even if you didn't create a startup or even if you are in a suit, you can go there and feel welcome. Whereas kind of like, you know, these major events like uh, Sushi Tech or Tokyo and uh, IVS, everybody's there to get stuff done. Yeah, yeah. Game face on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) I also will give a shout. I think it's a startup co-creation. I think they have a Slack or a Tokyo startup club has a Telegram group. Right. I think startup co-creation. I think that's uh, Kenneth Jang. I think ah, yes. from Moon Labs and yes. I think Skyler from Ubate Fund. <laughs> but like, yeah, compared to like maybe like five or eight years ago, it'll be like, what foreigner do you know in the startup ecosystem? Be like, Tim Romero. Who do you know? Tim Romero. Who do you know? Tim Romero. <laughs> So it's, uh, That's right. And uh, Tim's still great and still around, yeah. yeah. So <laughs> Tim has pioneered the way, and now there's uh, we can see that it's grown. Thank you for listening to this episode of Scaling Japan. In addition to serving as your fine host, I also provide advisory and coaching services to business owners who want to 2x, 5x, and even 10x their business. So stop holding your company and your team and your employees back and let me help you and your company scale. Find more information at scalingyourcompany.com. Now back to the episode.
Cool. So I think, and yeah, I guess next is, I hear this word probably too often, but what is open innovation? Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's one of those words, isn't it? It's becoming, <laughs> it's becoming cringeworthy. <laughs> but so I have been pretty involved in, in open innovation related work. I think the original meaning of it was just simply to collaborate with a diverse group of stakeholders inside and outside of your organization on innovation related projects. And the reason like they gave it a, a term is because especially if you look at some of the classic big corporates like Canon, and they're like developing the cameras back in the day, it was very, very tight lipped, intellectual property locked up. There was definitely pride in the idea that everything was built within the company. And that kind of was hand in hand with the idea of high quality. So, okay, it, you know, it, no one from the outside has touched this. It's, it's of the highest pure Canon quality, for <laughs> example. And that, I think that has, uh, has been pushed a little bit to the side, although there's a lot of players, uh, corporates in Japan still with that original mindset. But um, the idea that, you know, you can do more and you can create better things when you have more diverse people and organizations working on it. And I think that has been proven statistically in business too, for almost the same reason that you want a diverse team if you're starting a startup. You know, you want different opinions or different assets and experiences all coming together. So open innovation is, is almost the parallel to that, but with organization to organization collaboration. It comes in a lot of different forms, you know, from companies starting to do hackathons or pitch contests, as we talked about later, you know, uh, involving innovative, talented students or startups from outside or um, even other SMEs or even potentially competitors coming together and um, were previously sort of unheard of talking to the enemy so type of stuff. That's They're seeing a bigger picture where one plus one can equal three. If they put their assets together, it's not just giving away something and losing. Yeah, universities too. So there's sort of best known form of this open innovation now is startup to corporate and then there is university to corporate as well and then i think like yeah corporate to corporate or sme to corporate a corporate lens of collaboration yeah gotcha okay i think i now get i assume <laughs> that's what it was because it's called open innovation but thank you for pointing out all the use cases and yeah i want to dive a little bit deeper on that topic but yeah. uh so I guess from the startup point of view, what is typically their goal from, I guess, like attending an open innovation event? Yeah, or... that's a good question. So I think if you, so if you're, if you're in the startup seat, looking at corporations and their open innovation activities, it's really good to understand like how corporates are approaching innovation in general. And so there is this kind of, um, I guess, well-accepted, framework for innovation that I think originally came from the consulting firm McKinsey. And it basically looks at um, the different categories of technology and innovation development. So there's like the simplest is when it relates to the core business of the corporate. And those things would not be reinventing the wheel, but enhancing 
what they've already got. So like you might have an event related to an existing business line or sharing a particular resource that's already existing with another organization. Gotcha. Um, just to enhance the sales or the product itself. Then there's the second one, which is like the emerging business or the adjacent mm. kind of business parts of the business. And that's where like um, a lot of the accelerators, corporate backed accelerators or corporate backed incubators are, are active. So they're looking for things that are new, but they can be utilized by the existing business. So it wouldn't be just doing what they're doing better, but it would be leveraging what they're doing to do something new. Gotcha. And so that's where I think um, startups have the biggest opportunity. In the second one, right? Most of the opportunities are there. Maybe the third part uh, is where the biggest opportunities are, but there's not as many of these. And that's where it's about the future business model of Uh those corporates. So like New Horizon, the next horizon of what their business will be. And that's where it's more about like M&A, like the corporate might acquire a startup and make it a new part of their business or they might start a venture studio uh, or a venture building program where they they spin out in collaboration with a startup a new thing that they have not done before but they still have majority ownership of that so yeah i guess that those things tend to be like higher risk higher reward mm. And then there's the the bit in the middle, which is where you'll see a lot of the POC, proof of concepts, accelerator style programs popping up, which which are, I guess, more common. Yeah. So I guess for the first type, you know, like things for like the core business, would that be more like they'll probably partner up with a different corporation for that type of innovation? Most likely, yeah. Unless it was like something as simple as changing the way they sell an existing product. Like a could be a fintech, I guess. You know, it's not changing the business, mm. but it might be reaching a new market or making it easier to purchase. There is a space for startups, but less mind-blowingly innovative as you sort of go down to those core business um, style of innovation. Yeah. And no, that's really interesting. And uh, thank you for separating to the three layers. I think that would be very helpful. Uh, is there anything else on innovation that comes to mind or should we? Yeah, I mean, I think um, back to like, what should a startup be looking for? You know, I think there are programs with the keywords, open innovation or corporate accelerator, which are basically a chance to build a relationship with those corporations that you want to eventually become your partners or customers. I I think we might've talked about this in the last podcast as well, but one of the most common ways to close a B2B deal or partnership is by doing a proof of concept project with a corporate. And then uh, a lot of these programs in that kind of emerging adjacent innovation space are exactly what that they offer. So it is important, I think, for gotcha. startups. Yeah. And would you say like if anyone does an open innovation, like if I was a startup, pretty much it would always lead to a PLC than a sale, right? Yeah, usually. I mean, um, global best practice would say that, you know, if you're doing work for a company, they should pay you. 
<laughs> so, you know, the concept of an unpaid proof of concept project for a startup can be quite shocking for some startups that are coming into Japan. There are corporations that do pay for those kind of projects, but there is still a little bit of an attitude of, not attitude, but mindset of we are lending our prestigious, well-established brand and name to this startup that's got no history in the market. Gotcha. And therefore, that's the risk we're taking. Mm -hmm. And therefore, why should we pay them to take that risk? That can, There can be a bit of tension, I think, between exactly those two mindsets of startup founder that's bringing something new that's going to be profitable or have some impact is why the, the corporate's interested in the first place. And then not be paid to build out the, the first version of it can sting a little. But yeah, then there's that... Um, the other view. Actually, that leads to my question of me, how can a startup better discern what types of Onofin innovation to participate in? Do you have any tips? Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, I mean, I think the like anything, the details are always where the true value will be explained or not, right? And so uh, I think similar to what we were saying with pitch contests, you know, open innovation related programs, accelerators, other sort of events and such, you always have to look at what is really on the table um, in the case you are successful. And then it's even better to then, once you find out what it says in the terms and conditions, speak to some startups that have done the program before and get some feedback from their perspective. And then spend some time, if you can, with the organizers, uh, see how they communicate with you. Uh, could be an indicator of what the whole program might be like. Think of it as you're going in to make a contract, even though it's kind of dressed up as a program or such. There's going to be something you sign. So you should be checking out, okay, considering this is going to take me you know, six weeks or six months, and this many people from our team doing ABC, what's the minimum return on investment I need to seriously consider doing it or not? And that, that's how I would just approach all things like that. Yeah. That, that is great feedback that it's uh, the classics, right? the, <laughs> the, the basics. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And uh, we only have a few minutes left, but uh, could you give just a little bit of details into me? Business matching. Business matching, yeah, another buzzword. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it kind of is what it says on the packet. So it literally category A of business wanting to uh, do a partnership with category B. More often than not these days, you know, it's startup and corporate matching, but there are also the same type of programs that have been going on for a long time with non-startup SMEs, small to medium-sized businesses and large corporates do it too. I've managed programs where it was university representatives to corporates matching. I think the business matching can happen in different forms too. Maybe most famous are like the standalone events where it looks like speed dating, with, you know, mm -hmm. people on either side of a table 
spending, you know, intense short periods with as many potential partners as possible, sharing information, pitching, collecting business cards, and following up afterwards, um, hoping that it will lead to a sale or, or something else. But then there's like, some of the, I think, the programs that we were talking about in the last podcast, for example, those um, government-backed inbound support programs for startups coming in from overseas, they do a lot of business matching that's kind of ad hoc. So to give you an example from the Cobra City program, we will meet, say, 10 or 15 startups in a week and then have a little internal scrum think about who in our network and the city's network we can match to, whether it's corporates or universities or what have you, and then go ahead and send the lists of relevant startups to our, you know, Japan-based partners and say, would you be interested in having a meeting or being introduced to any of these? And then we do the matching that way on a sort of rolling basis. So, So, yeah, there's different different ways to do it. But yeah, it's pretty much matching, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, no, I think this has been a solid uh, two-part series on maybe the startup ecosystem and, in Japan and possibly could be like a recurring a- every year <laughs> doing an update. Things <laughs> change, yeah. And yeah, do you have any asks for the audience or any, I guess, final messages? Yeah, it's just, uh, I know being an entrepreneur or, you know, working in a um, in a new environment or just trying to do business in Japan is not easy. It's got its ups and downs. So don't be afraid to shout out to people around you. Remember past the brands and, and all posts they put out on social media, they're people too. And more often than not, they'll be happy to be be asked, you know, to help or even just to share something if you feel you don't have other people around you uh, that want to listen to startup talk. So yeah, just don't be afraid to um, reach out to me or anyone, you know, around you. Don't, don't worry if it seems they're too busy. We're people first and then we're entrepreneurs after that. <laughs> no, thanks for sharing that. And what type of clients are you kind of accepting at the moment? Yeah, so sorry, it's, pretty, you, you've done a great job. So I gotta <laughs> thank you. Get, get um, so we're actually planning to develop a, an accelerator of our own Innovation Dojo accelerator. So we're looking for uh, Japanese corporates that are seriously looking to work with overseas startups or potentially Japanese startups too. Um, so yeah, any corporate, you know, CVC or innovation or business development department people listening to this, <laughs> reach out. Uh, you can find me at Innovation Dojo Japan. It'll come up when you search on Google. Yeah, there are some listeners who are at CVCs. VCs. Okay, great. <laughs> so, thanks so much, Joshua. No, thank you, Tyson. It's been fun. <laughs>